What an unexpected morning. You know, I, um, it's been, uh, the last time I played that game was I was a youth pastor. Um, so I do have some experience playing Minute to Win It, so I probably should have shared that ahead of time. But um, kids ministry, there's some really cool stuff going on uh, this summer and then this fall. So uh, it's, gonna, it's an exciting time to, um, to, to, to be here at Grace and to be a part of it. So um, if you don't mind, we're kind of, uh, we got some technical difficulties. We had some unexpected things. So why don't you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin? Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, for this morning, for the ability that we have to come here to worship you, to sing, uh, and, and to be silly and play games. Lord, thanks for being present with us. I ask, Lord, that you would um, help us focus this morning, that you would help us focus on your word, and you would help us focus on the things that you'd have us learn. Lord, I ask that you'd get me out of the way uh, long enough for you to speak to your people, uh, minister to your people, Lord. This is your bride. In your name, amen. All right, well, I have my notes all discombobulated here. So I'm going to have to reorganize. So there were several families that were so excited about the game. We have actual several boxes of cookies. Um, and so I'm going to give Jackie those Oreos that we were supposed to play with Oreos, but we thought they were going to be too messy. So, all right. One, six, let's go. Okay. Well, I'm sure glad you're here. This is such a beautiful morning. I was telling somebody this morning that you can't really judge the summer I've found by mornings like this. If I judge the summer based on this morning, I would get really frustrated when it's 98 degrees with 80% humidity. So um, I'm just going to soak in this morning up. I have half a mind to all of us go outside and we could do church outside. But what a great morning. What a great week. Happy 4th of July, by the way. I hope you guys had a great uh, 4th of July celebration. And um, the 4th of July is always one of those things where you, um, you, can get, you, you can kind of forget what it's about. It's about fireworks. It's about uh, uh, watermelon and, and uh, pool parties and things like that. But it's a great holiday because it represents a great country and a great moment in our country's uh, birth. So what a great time to be alive. Now, we have been going through uh, the series on marriage. Now, marriage is one of those things that typically marriage series are for people that are married. Uh, but we have not been talking about marriage in that context specifically. We spent a lot of time talking about marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. And the reason why this series is for everyone, and we've spent some time talking about it, but if you're new or if you um, haven't been around for the series, the reason why this series is for everyone, no matter your marital status, is because we know all people, according to Hebrews 13.4, are to honor marriage. And the reason all people are to honor marriage is because marriage represents something so much bigger. It's an illustration of something so much bigger than just a relationship between a man and his wife. So this is why we can all learn. We can learn to be better spouses uh, from this illustration. We can learn to be a better friend or a better, better family member because of this example. And maybe most importantly, we can learn how to be a better church. And that's what I want. I want to always be a better church. I want to be learning. I want to be growing on how to be a better church. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I make in my personal uh, spiritual journey um, is I tend to make decisions based on emotions. And maybe you're like this, maybe you're not. And if you haven't picked up on this yet, I'm sorry, but I'm a highly emotional person. 
um, there are times throughout just about every study cycle of me preparing a sermon that I'll start crying. And I'll immediately be afraid that Carol or somebody's going to walk into my office and I'm going to be crying with my Bible and it's going to be really awkward. I'm an emotional person. And so it's really, really hard for me not to make decisions based on those emotions. I'm emotional. I get excited. I get down. I get frustrated. I get happy. And that's all in the course of like five minutes. So it, it gets a little crazy when you're in here, okay? But that's just the way that I am, and that's the way God made me. So I tend to make decisions based on my emotions, and this is a struggle. How consistent I am with my time with God, unfortunately, confession, it's about how I feel. And if I have like several times, you know, several quiet times with God that I feel bad, it's harder for me to go back and spend more time with God. <laughs> how I feel while I pray or after I pray has bearing on how frequently I pray. I hate to admit that, but that's true. And that's just a battle, a struggle that I have. How I treat people that have hurt me has a lot to do with how I feel about when they hurt me. It's a struggle. How I view sin, how I deal with sin, how do I treat people that when I'm struggling with a particular sin, all these emotions are raging in my heart. And all of these scenarios I tend to treat based on those emotions. I especially treat the next time I whatever, whether it's quiet time, prayer, worship, um, how I respond, how I um, uh, settle an argument with me and my wife or a friend or a family member. I always t tend to make decisions on those things based on how the last time went. And, and if we mistreat our emotion, if we treat our emotions or our feelings with a higher priority than we should, it can lead us down a really, really dangerous path. And I'm sure we've all experienced this. Any uh, computer people in the audience, um, who knows what RAM stands for? Anyone? Random access memory, right? Random access memory. And you're like, why in the world is he talking about computer um, uh, terms? Random access memory. This is the computer's ability to find data no matter where it is on a, on a physical location of a hard drive, okay? So when your computer has more RAM, this is a layman's thing. I'm not a pro here, so bear with me. But when you ha your computer has a lot of RAM, it accesses these files very quickly. And that's a good thing to have a lot of uh, random access memory so you can access files very, very quickly. It means your computer is fast in some aspects. The interesting thing about computers is they ironically work very similar to our brains. I almost said it backwards. I almost said our brains work similar to computers, but that's not true. Computers work similar to our brains. See, our brains store information. It stores files. And it has to access those files when you need um, that information. If you're, if you're getting pulled over by a police officer, your brain immediately goes, well, when was the last time that you were pulled over by a police officer? And there's these files the brain has to access, right? Well, the only way the brain accesses or searches for those files is by using emotion. And this is something that a scientist has figured out recently in the last 15 years. So this is how a brain finds the file that says this is what you should do when the cop is approaching your car. It goes, when was the last time you felt this way? And all the feeling comes up, and it finds a file based on the feeling, and that's how it searches for information. And it's, it's crazy, and if you think about it, 
When you're watching a sad movie or you hear a song on the radio that really evokes emotion out of you, and all of a sudden you start feeling, you start thinking of um, a, a childhood pet that you lost when you were a kid. And you go, wait a minute, this song is about a, a relationship that's breaking up, and I'm thinking about a pet. Why, what is the connection? Well, your brain is going, when was the last time you felt this way? It finds it, and then that's the file it accesses. This is important to know. This is actually really important to know. It's important to know what emotions, uh, what role emotions play in our life, especially on how we make decisions. So when you get into a stressful situation at work, the way your brain functions is it goes, when was the last time you got into a stressful situation? Or when did you feel this way? And then it accesses a file that may have nothing to do with the situation at work. This is why when you get into an argument with someone, you can counter their, their points in their argument almost faster than they can bring them up. It's because your brain is referencing the last time you had this argument. That can cause a lot of trouble in marriage. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Today we get to talk about emotions. And we get to talk about choices in regards to marriage. So I want to jump into our passage. Um, we have been kind of camped out in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and it is a fantastic passage to, to learn about what a marriage looks like. And we're going we're gonna to hit a couple other passages as well. But let's take a look. At Ephesians 5, and it's just one verse, just one verse, the last verse of the chapter, verse 33 of chapter 5. So Paul has been talking about marriage, and he's been giving us instructions on how and what a marriage looks like. In verse 33, he says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And here's these, these there, there's so many things that happen when I just read that line, okay? This little verse leaves me wondering, and I, I kind of have a, a rebellious streak in me. And so anytime anybody or anything tells me I must do something, my instinct is to go, really? I must? Why? Why do I must? What is so important about what this instruction is that I have to do this? And what happens? If I don't, <laughs> you can hear the rebellion in me. Really, I must love her. Why does she must? Why, why is she, does she have to respect me? And then there's this other thought that I get when I read this verse. I thought, I thought love was an emotion. How can I force an emotion? And this, we, we discover, is the way the world looks at love and respect. And you know where I'm going with this. But the common phrase, I fell in love. We say that all the time. Oh, she fell in love. She fell head over heels in love. We even use the phrase, I fell out of love. And it's this almost accidental emotion that comes over us. It just felt right. And it's, it's almost like our emotions are guiding us in the decisions that we make. Another thought that I have about this line is, what if the husband doesn't love the wife? Is the wife still on the hook to respect her husband? Do they have to equal each other for this to work? Or if one fails, then the other one is, is left, you know, is, doesn't have the obligation. Things get pretty complicated, needless to say, when we use the word must. 
And you have to know Paul knew that when he wrote that down. I think it's important to talk about Christ in the church in this context. There's a lot we can learn when we look at the example that Paul gets us, gives us as Christ and the church. The church being Christ's bride and, the Christ, uh, and Christ being the groom. See, Christ has always loved his bride. There's never been a point where Christ is like, you know, I don't, I don't feel very loving today. Christ doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed and go, meh, I'm just not feeling it. In fact, if you think about it scripturally, Christ made a decision about his bride before time began. See, this was pre-orchestrated. This was, this was all designed that he would do what he did for the church, his bride. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Christ has always loved the church, and we seem to have this off-again, on-again response to his love. And there's a lot of guilt mixed in that when I don't respond to Christ the way that I think I should, and then I feel guilty, and oh, how do I I deal with the guilt, and how do I deal with the way I'm supposed to respond? There's all this complex emotion surrounding this. And if that little verse isn't enough, Let's read a bigger passage that drives at this emotional response. This is Paul again, and he's writing to a different church. This time it's the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 13, a famous passage on love. Listen to this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love delights, or does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never, ever fails. So when we read through this passage, all of a sudden I get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed. How in the world does love do all these things? It's impossible because the love I experience doesn't always anything, right? Not only the love I receive doesn't always anything, the love I give doesn't always anything. It's not predictable, or so it seems. So there's really two ways to look at this if you're thinking of love as an emotion. The first is it's overwhelming because what I experience doesn't always anything. There's no, nothing sh- assured about it. The second way we could look at this is maybe, and this one, this one is painful. This one causes a lot of pain if we translate it this way. Maybe I just haven't found the real kind of love yet. You ever thought that? Maybe this relationship I'm in isn't the real deal. <laughs> and maybe, <clears throat> maybe I'm just with the wrong person. Maybe I'm just at the wrong church. Maybe the group of friends that are making me feel a certain way just aren't the right group of friends. Maybe that. And it makes you start to second guess the reason that you're even in the relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or or a relationship with a boss or, or a relationship with your church. This way of looking at love and respect with this emotion that's wrapped around it it gets, it gets you on shaky ground really quickly. How do we handle that? I think there's a third way 
to look at both the Ephesians 5 passage and this passage in 1 Corinthians. I think the third way is to look at love and respect as a decision. It's a decision, not an emotion. And you might say, no, you don't understand. When, when I'm in love, I just feel this way. And, and, and that feeling, we can't underestimate its power, right? The feeling of love or, or, or maybe love relinquished or love removed is so painful. It can change the way people live. It can drive people to, to mental instability. It can drive people to change their lives and their personalities and everything. That's the power of the emotion that's associated with love. But love is a decision. And respect is a decision. And when we decide to love the way Christ decided to love his bride, emotions can come and emotions can go. But the decision remains the same. And I can't under, I can't, um, overstate how difficult it is to translate those emotions. If love or respect is a decision we make, our emotions might fight us on it. But they also might reward us, too. And to make it even more complicated, sometimes they do both at the same time. Why does loving hurt so much, yet is so good? We could read this passage differently if we looked at love and respect as a decision that we make. I will be patient. I will be kind. I will not envy. I will not boast. I will not be proud. I will not dishonor others. I will not be self-seeking. I will not be easily angered. I will keep no record of wrong. I will not delight in evil, but I will rejoice in the truth. I will always protect. I will always trust. I will always hope. I will always persevere. I will never fail. All of a sudden, love becomes a choice. And here's what happens very quickly when we decide that it's a choice. It makes us feel really good. It makes us feel unstoppable. I will do these things. And then we fail. <laughs> and we try. And we go, wow, I, was, I wasn't ready that time. Now I'm ready. I will. And we fail. And we start to wonder, wasn't it easier just to look at love as an emotion? Now I'm actually failing at making the choice to love or to respect. How do I straighten that out? We quickly find we can't do it perfectly. But here's what happens. God honors the decision. And he honors it in a very, he uses way different ways to honor it than we tend to think. God honors the decision and he promises to walk with us on the journey of maturing in our attempts. He does, he promises to do that. When we decide to love our wives or respect our husbands or be committed to the family or our friends or commit to our church no matter how we feel, God says, I'm walking with you. And the moment you fail, I'm here to pick you back up. 
I'm not going to make it easy on you. I'm not going to make the emotions go away that seem to play tricks on your mind. I'm not going to do any of that stuff, but I will be here for you. We quickly come face to face with our weakness. And as a pastor, and as a preacher, I cannot tell you how good that is for us to come to face. When we face our weaknesses, it is so good for us. We make a decision, we fail at it, we remake the decision, we fail at it, and over and over and over. And at this point, we can slip back into, isn't it just easier to let love or respect be an emotion? And maybe I just haven't found the right church. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just haven't found the right spouse. And I've, I've done premarital, I've done marital, and I've done postmarital counseling where people say that. This, this person is just not the right person for me. They're willing to throw in the towel. But we have to make a conscious decision at this point. If we want to continue to mature and continue to grow closer, not only to Christ, but to the decision that we made. We can either give up, throw in the towel, go back to the way the world thinks of love and respect, or we can fall at the feet of Jesus. We can fall at the feet of Jesus. We can go to him with this repetitive failure. And we can hold it and offer it to him and say, I can't do it. I don't have the ability. I thought love was a choice and respect was a choice and I tried and I failed. And that was just in the first day. And then I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed and that was just the first week. Jesus, I can't do it. This allows us to realize that the groom loves us so perfectly that he can help us with our own response to his love. So Christ loves us, the church. He loves us and he says, I love you so perfectly and so well that even in your inability to respond, I'm going to help you with that. Once we realize this, it gives us a path forward. It gives, us, it gives us hope. It gives us that light at the end of the tunnel of this constant failure. Just talk to our spouses. They'll tell you about the constant failure. Just, just think about how hard it is to, to commit to a church. No matter what happens, no matter what the crazy pastor says or does, that's tough to do. But it gives us a path forward. And if we look at love and respect as an emotion, the response is, gee, I sure hope that happens to me sometime. I sure I hope I get that love. I sure hope I find that perfect church or that, that, that perfect friend group or that perfect job. Or, or the, maybe the response to love is, I've fallen in love because it feels so good. And that's the way we think it happens. We haven't decided anything and we're victims of our fickle, unpredictable emotions. Or we make a decision, we make a choice, we realize our failure and our inability to even do that, and we cry out to Jesus. We make a commitment to follow through with something and, and realize we don't have the power to do it. And if we look, we will notice that Christ is standing right there with us going, I know, 
I knew you had that inability even before the world was created. But I'm the perfect groom, and I'm going to show you how to do it. When he helps us, the coolest thing yet happens. When he picks us up and sets us back into that place of making a decision to love or to respect or to honor a commitment, when he sets us back up into that place, this amazing, magical thing happens. We start to reflect him. And the cool thing is, is we don't reflect him because we've got it figured out or because our strength or our power is going to get us through. We actually reflect him because of our weakness. When we fail and Christ picks us up, we start to look like him. And he knows it and he designed it that way. That's the way it's supposed to happen. We become an illustration of Christ loving his bride. When someone says, why in the world do you stay in that marriage? That woman treats you like dirt. And you say, Christ helps me. And that is a reflection of how Christ loves his bride. When you're at that job and that boss mistreats you and has mistreated you for years, and people go, why do you do that? You're way better than this place. You can say, hey, Christ is the one who helps me. He picks me up. He sets me on the path, even though I fail over and over again. We become an illustration of Christ. We start to act like Christ. And even though we fail and we fall and we fail and we fall, we keep getting back up because of Christ. And we look a little bit closer. We have a little bit better of a reflection every time this happens. And that's why it's so important to think back to when you made the decision. And if a marriage is going through struggles, I always make them tell me about the vows that you, that you, you said. Tell me about that. What, what made you want to commit to this? Remember the decision. Marriages fall apart for all kinds of reasons, and I don't dare understand. It's painful. It's brutal. There's abuse involved. There's all kinds of difficult things. And sometimes they don't work, and I get that. And God, even in that, picks us back up, sets us on the right path, says, try it again. We become a better and better illustration of Christ and his bride. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Emotions are just so much easier to follow than these hard, fast decisions. Anyone who does that is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and you all know what happens the house falls with a great crash. Not just a crash, a great crash. Christ even told us that if we do what he says, we'll be able to stand firm because we stand with him. Life will produce an amount of confusion and turmoil and frustration, which in turn will produce a cacophony of emotions in our heart. That's the way life is. 
And for some people, it's way harder, way, way too hard than it is for others. But we must remember that Christ made a choice to love us even before time began. So this is what we need to know this morning. Christ made a choice to love his bride, and it's time for us to live the same way. We're going to do it imperfectly. We're going to fail at it over and over. But we make a decision, and we ask for Christ's help to follow through. We treat the other person based on the choice that we made, not the emotion that we're feeling. The way it's most comfortable to give love is not always the most effective way to give love. Meaning, if we only give love when we feel it, we're not going to give it very much. But when we give love based on a decision, it's much more effective. Christ was intentional in the way that he loved the bride, even before, we, even before he met her. And we need to respond in the same way. Love and respect are choices, and the feelings are just emotional responses to that choice. If we choose to love and respect our spouses um, long before our emotions flare up, we'll be able to follow through with those choices. And if we fall mis fail miserably in completing the choices, Christ will be right there to pick us up. And we can make progress. We can take step after step. If we never make the choice, but follow our emotions, we'll never commit to anything. And, you know, actually, the scripture addresses those kinds of people. And it, it addresses them a lot. And I've got two good ones. We just heard the first one, Matthew 7. The person that can't commit, the person that is affected by their emotions back and forth and makes all these decisions based on emotions, they're like the one who built their house on the sand. And the house falls with a great crash. Listen to what James says about this in chapter 1 of James 6 through 8. James says, but when you ask, he's talking about people that are, need to ask uh, for God to give them wisdom. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We need to follow through with our choices. And we need to be ready to surrender to Christ when we fail. So here's what we need to do. Here's my application, if you can call it that. The first step is to surrender to Jesus the choices that we've made. Knowing full well that some of those choices, there was bad motives. <laughs> some of those choices, there's good motives. And the mix between the two. Lord, I'm not sure why I'm in this job. I'm not sure why I'm doing what this boss says. I'm not sure why I'm here. I made this choice, and I give that choice to you. Lord, I don't know why I'm in this relationship with these people, but I give that choice to you. You now own it. You tell me what to do. Surrender to Jesus the choices that we've made. Lord, I'm in this marriage, and I'm not sure how it's going to work. But I give you that choice. It's yours. The next thing we do is we surrender to Jesus the outcome of those choices. And this is hard. Because sometimes the outcomes are really ugly. And sometimes the outcomes are really good. But we surrender whatever happens to Christ. Lord, if I get that promotion, that's because of you. If I get fired, that's because of you. Because I'm trusting you with this. 
And then the last one, we surrender to Jesus the success or failure of that outcome. If he's really going to own it, if you're really going to give it to him, then let him be in charge. Let him be in charge. And don't forget, Christ made a choice to love his bride, so it's time that we live the same way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have had to look at your word. And God, I ask that as we leave here this morning, we would feel closer to you, even though you've been with us the whole time. Lord, I ask that we would understand a little bit more about making love and respect a choice and not just a product of emotion. God, I ask that you would protect us of our, from our emotions. They can mislead us. They can confuse us and frustrate us. But Lord, above all, I ask that you would give us the will and desire to surrender to you. God, we love you. And we don't even begin to understand why or how much you love us. But we are the bride. And we are waiting for you to come back because you promised you would. Jesus, we love you. And in your name, amen. Will you stand with me as we close and sing this together?